0: hey welcome everybody to tonight's episode of AE live i'm your host bob roberts with civil air patrol and tonight we have on a special guest jason miller from the finer points now as the name suggests the finer points is jason's philosophy that every pilot whether they're military corporate airline general aviation they can and they all should strive for excellence in aviation now jason's a cfi with over 20 years of training and he helps to guide you in getting the most out of your flight training The finer point started as a bi-monthly podcast where he helps to answer his uh, viewers' questions on the best strategies of of general aviation, learning to fly, and now Jason and a growing team, uh, he's no longer a single guy, his team is growing, and uh, they are publishing training videos on their YouTube channel. Uh, the Finer Points is also what it's called. And uh, I'm gonna th- go ahead, I'll throw a link into the description down below of everything inside of Jason's Media Empire. And uh, so with, uh, with that, enough of me talking, let's go ahead and let's bring on Jason. Jason, man, how's it going?
1: It's going great, Bob, thank you. Thanks for having me and thanks for that uh, kind introduction.
0: Oh, you're welcome. You, you earned every second of it for sure. Hey, now, Jason, before we get started, I got to tell you, I had one, I had one difficulty uh, in preparing for this today, and that's okay. that you just did uh, Justin Seem's podcast, Pilot to Pilot. And so yep. I, I was listening to that, that, that uh, podcast, not even knowing you were going to be on, I was just on a walk. So I'm listening to, to Justin. And you're on there. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm going to, you know, I'll get to hear what they talk about before our, our conversation. And then, like, he starts asking all these questions. I'm like, darn it. I can't ask that question. Justin just ask that question. <laughs> I got to come up with a whole second <laughs> set of questions. Um, That's funny. So anybody that's interested, uh, go check out Justin's uh, podcast, Pilot to Pilot, if you want to get more of Jason Miller. Um, so, so what you're going to get here, everybody, is you're going to get the plan B questions. <laughs> if you want your plan A, you got to go see Justin. Um, so, so before we get started about aviation on this planet, I wanted to ask you about an amazing thing that happened about aviation on another planet. So did you get a chance to see uh, Ingenuity fly?
1: I did not, no. No, you know, I I find that I'm I'm so often in an airplane actually flying that I land the airplane and I get like bombarded with, hey, did you see this and Mm -hmm. did you see that? And I honestly, I don't know. And that's the case today. I think I literally just got back from the airport. And uh, anyway, I've been flying so much the last few days. I have not seen it yet.
0: Yeah, so Ingenuity, for those that don't know, so Ingenuity is the little helicopter drone um, helicopter that they dropped on the bottom Up there in Mars, and um, and so you know we had the Wright brothers as the first powered flight. Uh, you know on, on America, although the French would probably disagree um, <laughs> they, We have um, you know, we have now NASA has now flown the first uh, powered airplane um, Or aircraft on Mars. So I thought that was pretty cool. So um, All right, so back to this planet. So now it's very cool. In fact, it's yeah. making my
1: head spin So there's enough of an atmosphere there for, for a helicopter to actually operate That it just pushes the air around the same way it does on earth.
0: Yeah, so you know there there is and there isn't right so so if, um, uh, if, if you took an aircraft today and you put it up into Mars, there's nowhere close to enough atmosphere. Um, so the atmosphere is extremely thin. I think it's something like 8% or something like that. Somebody down, oh, wow. one of my viewers can correct me down in the description be- below. I'm sure they will. <laughs> um, but I want to yeah. say it's like 8% or something like that. Um, but the, the Mars gravity is also less so oh, wow. you're not fighting gravity as much so you don't need as much lift and so they just built this thing incredibly light um it, i think wow. they i think they said it gets about a minute of flight time a day um so not wow. very much but um but it's a proof of concept pretty awesome
1: yeah exciting exciting stuff
0: yep so all right so let's get back down to earth um so you know Question for you. Why you know you're you're you've stayed in a CFI position instead of getting one of those fancy half million dollar a year airline gigs? Why is that?
1: Yeah, you know, um gosh, that's that's a that's, you know, a hard answer to come up with in a nutshell, but I think that a huge part of it is the schedule. And so like I'm somebody that um, I've always been a lifelong lover of aviation. I mean, I was definitely that kid that would go hang out at the airports on the weekends and stuff like that, but I never really thought it was possible for me. I didn't come from an aviation family. Um, nobody in my family was a pilot. And so it wasn't really until after college that I decided I had like enough of my own, like, Hey, I'm an adult. I can do what I want. I'm going to get into flying. So I think part of it is that I started just a little bit later than, than some people. Um, so I'm, you know, like 25 years old or so before I really dove into it. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, also kind of like, a homebody, you know, when I was going through flight training, I was living on a boat. I really like enjoyed the time that I had to myself in the evenings. I like to go sailing on the weekends. I really liked my schedule. And certainly now with my kids, I really value being home every night. I'm, I'm, you know, a big family guy. And if I'm not working, I'm spending time with my family. And so, um, then it just got sort of harder and harder to get, let go of that scheduling. But I also think that, um, when I made a move from Chicago to California, in my twenties, there right after I got my private, um, I, I was my eyes were open to all these different possibilities in aviation. You know, a lot of the I, I finally met career flight instructors for the first time. You know, just the weather out here is so good, so often um, that I met guys that were in their sixties, and after they finished their military service or whatever, they just decided to set up shop at Oakland Airport or wherever else and teach flying and. You meet folks that are just get into the seaplane life, or get into you know cal fire. I mean, there's just all these different things folks were doing, and um, it seemed to me, you know, that also like the risk was a little like the 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 like the risk analysis on that is pretty tricky, right? Because you go through college, you go through, and then you go through all this technical training to become a pilot, and then you sign on with a company and you get a seniority number, and if that company goes under. Like, you're sort of back of the line trying to find a job, and it was a combination of all those things. Like, it wasn't the kind of flying that I wanted to do. I wanted to do much more, like, hands-on, low-altitude flying. I really loved the freedom of my schedule, and I kind of wanted to build a business of my own in aviation so that that risk sort of was in my my control to some extent, you know?
0: Yeah, you know, and that's, uh, it, that's interesting, you know, because you see a lot of folks... And and that's great because it kind of rolls into the next question. So um, you you do, you see so many CFIs, you know, that you see so many people just think the CFI is the jumping point, you know. Um, You know, it's the jumping point into the airlines. Um, But yeah, man, you hear so many people that like they, they, even the people that did do it for a little bit, they're like, you know, they were getting up at three in the morning, you know, to get to the airplane, to go jump, get on a jump seat, to go to some place, you know, far away for their first flight and, you know they're getting four hours of sleep, and you know they're not getting paid very much money. You know, especially those first right. few years. Um, so for those that you don't, know, for those of you that don't know, uh, you know, w- when you see, you know, don't be a creeper and hug somebody <laughs> at the airport; they might get you arrested. Yeah. But you should mentally hug the 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 first officers in these airplanes because they're making very little money. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: that's true. You know, and it, also like I think like one of the most important jobs I ever had in aviation. Like when I decided that this was what I wanted to dedicate my life to I went, I just went to the airport. Like I said, I didn't have anybody in my family. There's a pilot and I got it. The first job I could find, which was line service, right? I just walked in and said, I want to work here. Like, tell me what I need to do. Like I'd sweep the floors. I would do whatever. But they, they put me in a little vest and they told me, they taught me about fuel and they, you know, next thing I know I'm working line service, which was really, uh, ed- it was such a great education because I, at the time, this is in the nineties. I met like everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. I met like Phil Boyer when he flew in, I actually met Jim Lovell, funny enough. Oh, cool. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of astronauts and, um, I met all these executive jet pilots. It's now net jets, but like I met all these corporate guys and I got to give them rides places, you know, give them rides to lunch or whatever. And I would always ask them questions like, Hey, do you guys, are you, did, are you enjoying the flying you're doing? Like what kind of flying are you doing? Do you like it? And, um, our whole charter department there, we, we, we chartered G ones and, and, uh, G twos, I think at the time, Gulfstreams. Hmm. Um, And the whole charter department was basically old Eastern Airlines guys. And they were so jaded. I mean, these guys were so <laughs> pissed off at life, really. Like they were just like, you know, like, oh, don't go to the airlines. You know, I worked for 10, 15 years at Eastern and I was, I lost my job at 50 years old. I lost my pension. I lost, oh, no. you know, so I'm hearing this story from them going, this is a risky endeavor. We had the dream job and now we don't have the dream job anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked at the corporate life, which actually is still really attractive to me from a flying perspective, because if you look at, like you mentioned, Justin, if you look at the kind of flying that Justin does. Uh, he works for a large uh, corporate flying operation, like fractional ownership thing. And um, it's always different, right? Like he never knows where he's going, right? And that's mm-hmm. appealing as a pilot. Like part of the airline thing that I thought was unappealing was you're flying the same line over and over and over again or the same yeah. lines. So you tend to like – I've talked to my airline pilot buddies and they're like, oh, I just memorized all the frequencies. I know all the approaches. Like they just have it all in their head because they do the same thing over and over and over again. Um, but the the guys that are flying the little business jets, they never know where they're going. So from a flying perspective, it's super interesting, but they have tough schedules. That's like seven on, seven off. right? Yeah. So for seven days, you're gone, working your butt off. Um, and so then it, it kind of that factored into it. Um, and I love teaching. I mean, so I really do. I love people, I think, is like the, the key to loving teaching. You have to enjoy meeting people and helping people uh, in their own journey and helping people make connections is like really something I'm passionate about. But I would be lying to you if I told you the pilot in me does not drool about the thought of flying a big jet. Yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's a hard one to live with because we all want that. Right. We yeah. all want to go fly a seven, triple seven or whatever. Right.
0: Have you thought um, about um, doing any of the corporate flying and, and, and uh, you may have too many students to be able to do that. But you, Have you thought about trying to like do both or was that just, just yeah. be too much on you?
1: I've thought about it a little bit like, um, and you know, right now building the finer points is like, I'm so busy building that media business when Mm -hmm. I'm not flying with students that it just seems like, you know, from a career perspective, it's like, it's what I've put my, the last, geez, I started the finer points in 2005. So like the last 16 years of my life has gone into, you know, making that what I want it to be. And I don't feel like I'm done there. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes I think about like, like for me, honestly, the dream job right now would be to get on with an airline and fly reserve most of the time, like to right. to fly as little as possible, but to like get the training and, and get the experience, have that experience, right? So sometimes I think about that.
0: That's cool. You know, I know. Um, I, I'm not sure what what relationship, but um, but FedEx does a lot of that. They they, they have a they? large, yeah, they have like, um, maybe not the triple sevens, but like they have a large fleet of reserve pilots and mm. um you know so rather than hiring i'm gonna make a number totally up out of the air instead of hiring say 10 pilots you know that are full-time they'll hire 30 people and they just give them you know their cell phone numbers they'll page them out you know when there's a uh, something open um which is always i thought pretty interesting <laughs> um so yeah. so yeah. the finer points so uh, i was gonna talk about this later but you brought it up so let's jump right into it so sure. you know there's so many there's so many different Area, there's so many different ways that people can get their education right they can get it from books whether they're jet books they SA books um whatever right and then online you know you've got john and martha king right they kind of kicked off the whole video you know style of ground school you know going back who knows man you know 40 50 years um martha king's actually on the board of directors for uh, civil air patrol So, um, yeah, 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 they're very active, but, um, so, you know, so you have them as kind of like the grandparents, so to speak of that medium. So, you know, and then you have so many people on YouTube now, right? So, um, what did you see as the hole that you're trying to fill with the finer points?
1: Well, it's been, it's been an evolution. I mean, there's, and really there's kind of three, three main, you know, products there. I mean, it started with a podcast in 2005 and I think at the time what I saw was, just the ability to talk to tens of thousands of people weekly and Mm. have that be really easy where you don't have people like needing to go to your website. They just sort of plug into you and you can drop knowledge. And and that's really what the finer points, that's how it started. And that's pretty much what it is today was just these short little bits of wisdom. Like, Hey, next time you're flying and you're leveling off, try thinking about it this way or try, you know, using this reference over here or holding the yoke in a different way when you're landing or, you know, just all these little tips and, um, that generated a pretty big audience, and that was really rewarding, because I think it it occurred to me just from a um, from a business perspective that I do want to be a lifetime career CFI. Like I realized this early on, so like I'm still in my 20s and I realized that. But I thought to myself, like you know, no matter how good you get at this, like even if you're charging three times as much per hour as anybody else, because you're like the best person on planet Earth, like you are sought after by everybody. At the end of the day, it's still a lot of students just shaking your hand and saying thanks for your help and mm-hmm. moving on their way, right? It's a service job. Like you can't, you can't package it up and sell it. So I was always interested in trying to figure out ways to kind of commoditize my knowledge and turn it into products that would live longer than me, you know, like a book, for example. But in our, you know, my generation, our generation, like books – we're not really the cutting edge. So you've got these podcasts and that sort of grew into a YouTube channel. I actually started the YouTube channel in 2007, which is pretty crazy. Wow, man. (laughs) That's a long time. Yeah. And then it all culminated in, in what's now an iPad app called ground school. And there are so many things I think that the app, like to your question, like holes that the app actually fills and we're just able to teach things. Like I'll, I'll just give you one example. Like usually when I film for the app, I take out the pilot seat and I, put this pole in mm-hmm. where the pilot would go and we've got, you know, four GoPros for every like head position that a pilot could want. And we're able to actually teach site pictures for different maneuvers, like the way I'd want you to see it, where I would want you to look, when I'd mm-hmm. want you to look there. But then because of the iPad technology, I can like then show you a video after the fact and have you like touch the screen if you when you see the turn start to go bad or touch Mm -hmm. the screen when you notice the sight picture change. And we can like really get you engaging with the product. So not only can I show you like what I want you to look at, but I can test whether or not you're actually getting that message. And it just seemed like there were all these possibilities where technology could actually teach people like how to fly or how to fly better. Um, and that's, that's just one example, but it seems like exploring the edges of technology to see if there's different ways we can make, uh, make a difference for pilots. is really what it is.
0: That's cool. So, um, so yeah, so the interactivity of the video, um, that's really, that's cool. Yeah. Because I know like a lot, no offense to some of the other, um, you know, ground schools that are on video format. Um, you know, a lot of them are really valuable in their own, their own rights, but a lot of times you find that people, they, they try to binge watch you know and just watch you know get through the videos as fast as possible answer the questions as fast as possible and you know print out the little certificate so they can go take their test um there's really no interactivity you know in the video um so that's, that's cool right.
1: and, and i think that it's also like so many people like lately have been saying to me like oh you know I, I know you have a ground school but i already took my written test and i'm thinking like well the product that we've made is I mean, it does cover the written test and there's practice tests in there and all that sort of stuff, but it's really trying to take it to the next level where it's, we're not just trying to get you through the written. We're trying to make you a better pilot and we're trying to send you into your flight lessons much better, like with much more preparation, knowing, like I said, knowing where you're going to look, knowing when to look there, knowing what the engine sounds like, like all those little nuances that you get just from a real experience with a real CFI Um, if I find it's hard to, to find products that teach that stuff, most of it is just designed for the written.
0: Yeah. You know, and the other thing too, is like when you're learning, um, a new, a new subject, right. You you almost never can learn it when you're just, when you just have one interaction with it. Um, right. You know, and so, and even if you watch the same, let's let's just um, I'm going to use Sporties. Sporties is a great Sporties works a lot with CAP as well. They do a great job. Um, but let's I'll just use Sporties as an example. So let's say you buy the Sporties ground school, right? And you watch, or or maybe even yours, right? Um, and let's say you didn't have interactivity, which I think really is a game changer for you. But um, if, if you if you're Sporties you watch it once and if you hear it the multiple times, the second or third time you watch it, your brain might be tuning out and you know, you're know you really not gaining that, you know, that, that real depth of knowledge versus if you had say multiple different ground schools, yeah, there's a, there's a cost there, right? Um, so maybe yeah. they do sporties, maybe they do you, maybe they do the kings, maybe they do whatever, but just you're going to explain it in a different way than the other videos 100%. did. And then that's gonna yeah. key off you know, the brain to remember it differently. Um, so yeah, yeah. so when people say, well, yeah. you know, I've already been a pilot or I already got this other thing, you know, why should I, I think that's why they should.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's a huge point. And when we all like, I mean, those of us who are like, you know, fall in love with it. It's you look at your library and it's like, we, mm. I have like every instrument book that was written <laughs> as far as I know, you know? So like what you described is the way I learned, even if it's just sometimes like for one or two chapters. Like I think of Peter Dogen's book, The Professional Instrument Courses, there was just this little thing he did in his um, instrument book where at the very end he would put like two paragraphs that were designed for the CFII. Um, and that was the whole reason I bought the book. It's not like I needed to learn how to fly the approaches again or what they were. It's just, he had this little Peter Dogan way of saying something at the end of every chapter that was valuable enough to spend the 1995 or whatever it was. You know?
0: Yeah. And in the, in the grand scheme of things, you know, what is that the aviation anyways, you know, right. <laughs> you burn $20 right. yeah, on so the taxiway. It still
1: holds true. It's, it's kind of cool that, that that's the way aviation works. Cause you know, people tend to buy a bunch of different things on the same topic.
0: Right? Yeah. It's the best way to learn. I think. Um, yeah. So, so now you did mention, you know, th- this, this is your career, right? This isn't a jumping point. This isn't something you're doing just to get to the next, you know, the next, whatever the next level would mean to somebody else. Um, right. this is the level, this, this is it. So the question I've yeah. got for you is you live Okay, so CFIs have, are not known to be wealthy. They are not known to be people that make a ton of money. And you decided to take that that career and then live in arguably one of the most ridiculously expensive places in the country, <laughs> <laughs> in San Francisco. Well, <laughs> how do you make yeah, that it's work? Funny
1: though. Well, it's it's funny. Um, that's a funny thing. Like I've you know coming from Chicago, like I'm like a you know just
0: another crazy class expensive town, place, right?
1: <laughs> Like, and and I always felt like I, I'm a hard worker, like any other Midwesterner. I know how to, you know, put my head down on work. And, um, but I always found it harder to make money when I was there. You know? Like mm-hmm. one of the things that happened when I moved to California is it just felt like money was abundant. So like even though uh, things are more expensive, there's also a lot more people with money. and people tend to be free with money. So, when we're talking about like making a career as a CFI, and I do this lecture for the Air Safety Institute all the time. I used to uh, before Covid travel around and do those flight instructor refresher courses for them. So I would teach those to other instructors. Um, and this is you know, for any instructors listening, like this is something I really do believe in is that you know we don't want to like like if you want to make a career as an instructor, you have to pick a place that has, you know a couple different ingredients. And one is it has to have weather that's flyable most of the year, right? You're not going to go, to Duluth, Minnesota, and expect to support a <laughs> right. family, right? Yeah, it's just too tough. Like the weather is too hard, too many, you know, too many days out of the year to actually fly. So you have to pick a place like Tucson or Florida or North Carolina or parts of Tennessee or, you know, some place where there's reasonable flying weather. Um, and the Bay Area has that. In fact, I think it has some of the best instrument training in the world in the summer because we get that marine layer mm-hmm. almost every day. Um, the second thing is you have to have people that have cash. Like you can't, like it's it's kind of tricky in Tucson, for example, because there's not just as many people, there's not as many tech people, as you might find in a place like Austin, for example, and the Bay Area has that. So it's like this perfect storm. It's got a lot of young male engineers that have cash in their pocket and uh, a lot of schedule flexibility. Like most of my clients are obviously in the tech industry, but they don't they they can come down at one o'clock on a Wednesday or 10 o'clock on a Thursday. It doesn't matter as long as they go back to Facebook or Apple or Google or wherever they work and (laughs) put in the hours later that day, they can do it. Um, and so, and, and, you know, I say male just because, you know, like the, the, the reality is like 90% of pilots or something like that are are men. So there's like, there's a lot of these engineer types that are in, into that thought. Like I want to fly airplanes. They've got freedom in their schedule and they've got cash in their pocket. And, um, this is what I was going to say that I tell the other instructors is that you can't be afraid to charge top dollar. Like. You know, when you think about the way like lawyers charge, for example, right? Like if you take a phone call with your lawyer, and you're on the phone for 15 minutes, you're going to get a bill for 15 minutes of time. And, um, and you expect if you're going to keep going back to that person, you better have gotten some valuable information in 15 minutes of time, or you're not going to call that person again. Right. So I always encourage instructors to take their game up a notch, like to really try to deliver the best product they can possibly deliver and to charge as much as the market will bear. And I think it's like a, it's a nice healthy circle in the sense that if you charge some, like you charge a lot of money, you tell somebody I'm charging $150 an hour and you plan to charge that from the minute you show up to the minute you leave, you think twice before walking into that lesson. <laughs> like You don't just walk into that lesson going, so what are we doing today? You, yeah, know right. I mean, you like spend the morning getting ready because you have to like justify the fact that, holy cow, I just told this person I'm going to be charging $150 an hour. I better like show up and blow them away. Mm-hmm. And then when you do that, you know, pilots are not, um, pilots are smart people. They're not like, they don't want to pay more for something they could have gotten for less, Right. but they're also not afraid to pay more for something that's arguably and, you know, demonstrably better than something that they could have gotten. Right. They don't mind paying for excellence usually. And at least there's enough of them out there. Right. So that was sort of my strategy in the Bay area was to just really try to be the best instructor I could be to charge, you know, plant a flag and charge like a, a pretty, You know, stiff rate, and then justify that by showing up and delivering an outstanding product. And, you know, if somebody can't afford it, um, every now and again, like, you know, you can, they can talk to you, they can tell you, you can give them a break here and there. But as a rule in the Bay Area, I mean, there's so much money there that it, it worked out for me. And I'm not rich by any means. I almost feel guilty sometimes when I say to people, oh, yeah, you can make a career out of flight instructing because. You know, it's, there's definitely scars on my body and and, you know, (laughs) like it's not, it's not an easy thing and, but it's, it's a passion. So you just do it because, I mean, I love my job and I feel like that's, I don't know, that's worth a lot, right? To like Mm -hmm. wake up in the morning and, um, we might not own a house in the Bay area. We might be renting or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I wake up in the morning and I love going to work and there's food on the table and everybody's happy. And I think that creates, you know, that's that's a good enough reward in itself.
0: Yeah, and how many people like wake up in the morning and they think to themselves, oh, I gotta go to work. You know? Yeah, you know, <laughs> so, right. You know, so it's good. It's good. I've been there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, and I like a lot of people too. Like they hear, you know, um, I think the average, I don't know what the average is. Uh, maybe you would know, but I, I you know I, it seems like, or at least around where I am, I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. So it seems mm-hmm. like around here, the $50 ish rate is kind of like the normal average rate. So a lot of people think, wow, $50 an hour is even making a hundred thousand years. And it's like, no, (laughs) you know, these people that, you know, first of all, the flight schools are taking a chunk of that, you know, Um, you know, so they're only getting a smaller percentage of that. And then on top of that, they're not getting eight hours a day. You know, they're getting maybe two, three, four. And if somebody doesn't show up, they may not get paid depending on the flight school. The weather's not good. They're not getting paid. Um, you know, so you have to have a lot of flexibility. So, so now if somebody is, so that $50, that's, that's nothing. It's nothing. It's, you can't, it's hard to make a living on $50 an hour.
1: To your point, like you really, to get, like, if you work a 10 hour day as an instructor, you're probably building, billing six hours, right? So it's probably somewhere like 60% of the time you put in, but I would really encourage the idea that flight schools take like around, there are some schools around me where they take like half the CFI's money. I I would steer people away from those places if you want to be a career instructor and, you know, like get into a more situation where there's more independent instructors where you actually collect all of that money. Um, And then, you know, you have to really focus on your art, like have a lot of tricks like up your sleeve in terms of like, how can I get some, how can I move the ball forward for somebody even if it's a bad weather day? Like what would be (laughs) beneficial to them? Like, can we do radio simulations? Can we put them in a flight simulator? I mean there's various various things and you're not trying to like milk them you have to actually be moving the ball forward right. for them because like I said if they're if they perceive that it's not happening they're not going to keep paying you right
0: and time is money too cuz so if you get 2 weeks of bad weather <clears throat> which you can get in some places sometimes of the year you know and you get those 2 weeks of yep. bad weather somebody might start lose start losing interest um and so if you keep moving them forward, you don't, they don't lose that interest. And, we're, and actually that's gonna, um, I've, I've actually got a question that, you know, kind of barrels right off of that. You know, cause, cause we get in um, general aviation specifically, right, is we get a lot of people who are really gung-ho through their solo. And, and to be honest with you, this, this podcast is almost as much for CFIs as it is for people that, are learning how, you know, just learning how to fly. So right. how do you keep, but we get a lot of people who, who tend to drop after they get soloed, um, or at least it's what I see. So, um, and, and I'm not a CFI, I, you know, I'm working on it, but, uh, I'm a ways away from CFI. So just from what I'm seeing from other folks, it seems like a lot of folks are dropping out, um, you know, after they solo. So what would you, what would be your tips for trying to get people to, well, one, I guess individually for that person to try to keep them involved, but two, as a CFI, what can the CFIs do to try to keep the students engaged?
1: Well, I think that incorporating more scenarios is really a, a good good tool there. Like, uh, excuse me. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that, um, you know, we do so much maneuver-based training. And I actually did an interview recently with a DPE where, you know, he was talking about scenarios, at least talking through scenarios in the oral as a new sort of focus point for the FAA. So when these DPEs around the country are going back into recurrent training, they're all going to be coming out. Uh, With a little bit more of a focus on scenarios and the scenarios are now going to start to be issued with the cross country. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the day before we're going to tell you, here's the scenario and they're going to really try to find trigger points. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we all like you get into getting your pilot certificate because you want to achieve the result. You want to be able to take the airplane safely from point A to point B. And there are probably some great adventures in anybody's local area that a student pilot would enjoy doing. So at the right around the time they solo, um, I would try to set those into context and say, "All right, today we're going to fly up to Napa, or we're going to go down to Monterey, and um, or we're going to go up to Shelter Cove or whatever," and just let it unfold. A little more naturally, right? So it's not so it's a little different than planning a cross country flight and executing the cross country and marking the checkpoints and all that, which are great important skills to have. Um, but every now and again, when you feel that the students like energy level is sort of diminishing, maybe just say, Hey, let's go just have a lot of fun today and go to this place. And I think what you'll find is that learning moments just present themselves. Mm-hmm. And then you can take those little things that you learned along the way and say, okay, now when we come back next week, let's go work on those little things. Because did you notice that your pattern was like totally wonky at Shelter Cove? We need to like tighten that up a little bit or, you know, your landing wasn't straight or whatever it was. Let's like work on those little skills, maybe do two or three of those and then dive back into the training hardcore. Mm -hmm. I think that can help. I also think like flying with other instructors, like I rely on my colleagues a lot. Um, I have no issue with sending my students to go fly with other instructors. And I remember in my private training, the person that got me to like, sort of like get crosswind landings was not my primary instructor. She, she was sick that day. So this other guy was filling in and it was just something about the way he said things was a little different. And, um, I didn't, it wasn't like I went with him or anything. I love Lisa. She was a great instructor and, as soon as I got the crosswinds with uh, this guy that I was, was filling in, I went back to flying with Lisa. So I think instructors need to be free to like, kind of let their students experience other people as well.
0: I think it's a really good tip, and I don't think we hear that enough. Um, I know we hear a lot of you know, well, this instructor's not working for me really good, and so you know they work for me. So going to go find another instructor, but but th- those conversations are about just dropping one instructor and moving to another instructor. And I think that's kind of cool. The, the, the tip to be you know, hey, listen, if you're finding one thing like you like your CFI, the CFI is great but you're finding one thing that's just not clicking in your brain um right. grab another instructor just for that because they yeah. may say it just a little different or have a different strategy or just uh, you know just your brain will just light up just a different way and all of a sudden you got it um yeah 100%
1: yeah i was i also often tell instructors too that one of the hardest parts of our job is like knowing how and when to pull ourselves out of the equation right because on day 1 you do everything. And on the last day, theoretically, you do nothing. So it's like this it's right. like this this scale throughout training, and it's tricky. You get in you get like emotionally invested in these successes for your student. And if you put somebody else in the airplane, they don't know all those little struggles you've been having. So they tend to just sort of sit back and watch a little more. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a fresh perspective. and it can help it like helps me, honestly. I feel like it. It helps me stay sharp. I'll send my students for multiple phase checks before they go for their tests. So three at least. And usually they come back from those phase checks and the other instructor will pull me aside and say, Hey, are you doing this thing with them? Or I noticed they did, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't pick up the after landing checklist, right? And I'm huge on checklists in the air. But sometimes I forget, oh, right, I haven't actually been drilling in the after landing one, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. we should work on that more. Um, it helps me stay sharp for sure.
0: That's cool. That's cool that you know. You think about you know people think about the CFIs and like okay they've made it they're CFIs you know what else could they yeah. learn and it's like you know and it's like you're constantly need to figure out like what you're improving you know the other thing you said too that was uh, I thought was interesting um, you know about being able to pull yourself away um, you know I'm, I'm actually really involved in education outside of you know what we do here in this channel and actually one of the the things that's hardest why I try to tell instructors or other educators is. It makes it hurts our feelings, but we have to understand that a lot of if if you've done a good job, and this is the same thing for CFIs, if you've done a good job as as a teacher, you have set somebody up to learn better without you. <laughs> so, um, and that is so difficult for because we want to be the teacher, we want to be the person in the know. We want to we we feel like we're not, especially if you're making you know uh, x amount of money doing it per hour, you want to feel like you're constantly just pushing but you may actually be providing better value by not saying anything sometimes.
1: Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's a hard thing to know, really. I mean, it really is tricky. It's like, because it happens, you know, progressively. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you have to be tuned in enough to, to realize, Oh, I don't need to say that anymore, or I shouldn't be saying that anymore. And you know, the, the quicker you can tune into that, the better. Um, but I'm all about being efficient, like with Mm -hmm. my students. I mean, I'll, this is another thing that I think like just in terms of charging uh, a decent hourly is like set your students up for success. So like one of the things that I do with all my students is create spreadsheets for them so that when we debrief a lesson, we're taking notes. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, we're not just talking about a lesson, which is important, But we're actually writing it down. And then in that moment, we say, okay, here's what we need to work on next time. And here's what I want you to read. And I want you to read this, Mm -hmm. this, this, and this. And I want you to do these exercises or whatever. And often if a student calls me, and I'm I'm fortunate to be really busy, but if a student calls me a day before and says, you know, I haven't had time to practice anything. Sometimes I'll just say, well, then don't don't come in tomorrow.
0: Yeah, it won't be worth the time. time
1: tomorrow that that you and I are going to fly and do all that homework I gave you. Um, I'll, I'll sub in somebody else. Like, I don't want to waste your money. Like you're spending a lot on this and it's free for you to do all the stuff I wrote down on the sheet. Like you should really get that done before we fly again. Um, so I'm really focused on making it efficient for them. One of the things that like in, if, if there are CFIs listening, like one of the things that drives me crazy is if somebody's not doing that homework, right? If they mm-hmm. come in and consistently say to you, you know, it c- gives you a record. So you're reviewing the notes from the last flight before they come in and they come in and you say, hey, did you do all those exercises I gave you? And they say, oh, no, nah, man, I got really busy at work. I, I couldn't get to that. That's not somebody that I'm going to give a break on the hourly. Right. It's like you, you didn't even have the time. Like you didn't even have the the whatever in your week to prepare for this. Like you want to learn on my time. You want me to like spoon feed you all this stuff. That's fine, but you're going to pay for it. I'm much more likely to give a break to somebody that said, yeah, I did all those exercises. I'm totally prepared for this flight. And man, like this, this price is killing me. It's like, okay, well, I'll give you a break. Like you're working hard on it. You're going to move through this thing fast. You're focused on your own success. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to like support you, you know? So,
0: Or even like, you know, you see that kid like you, you know, the kid on on the flight line. You know, they just wanted to be around airplanes and aviation. And, you know, that's the person that you work harder for. You know, it also shows, you know, if you're, there's so many CFIs that do what you just said. Like you just show up and they're like, okay, well, today we're going to go work on XYZ. And you get done, you land, you know, they may say, okay, this was good. This was bad. I'll see you next week. <laughs> you know you know yeah, right, it's like okay right. well what's next week <laughs> you know uh, you're almost you know you you're really almost debriefing yourself on the on the drive back from the airport um but it seems it's like that's like
1: that.
0: a, yeah yeah but it almost seems like if you know, if CFI it doesn't matter if you're it's your first student or if it's somebody like you your 10,000th you know student um you know it, it just seems like if you want to be you want to take as a CFI if you want to take yourself to the next level that's, you know, that's a good tip for them that you're giving them, you know, to, to take themselves. in yeah, for sure. So.
1: And, 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 you know, just as a comparison, I always call that, like I always say, this isn't horseback riding, right? It's not mm. like you just, like if you take horseback riding lessons, you show up, you ride the horse, you leave, you come back the next week, you ride the horse, you <laughs> leave, you come back the next horse right? Flying is more like, it's more like a college course where like, Mm -hmm. you know, you come to the airplane and if you do 1.3 in the airplane, there should be like three times that much study going in before the next lesson. So you've got like four or five hours of work that's coming out of that one hour, you know, 1.3. So, and I think if people do that, they'll cut out entire lessons, right? So when it Mm -hmm. comes to, again, for CFIs, they're maybe afraid to charge a little more. And and it's different everywhere. So whatever your market is, if the average is 50, maybe you charge 65, like whatever, just keeping yourself and then don't do that thing where you say, Oh, I'll just charge you on the Hobbs, right? I mean, your time is valuable. And if you value yourself, people will value you. But if you show up with the kind of stuff we're talking about here you might save people entire lessons you might save them a $300 day or multiple $300 right. days right so who's to say you're not actually saving them money
0: yeah i mean an hour and a half you know depending on the airplane you're flying and where you're flying an hour and a half could cost you 350 bucks you know or more right you know, easy yeah,
1: no, I remember. and like I, I've told this story before, but like when I went for my ATP, um I had to rent, well, I didn't have to, but I chose to rent a da forty two, which mm-hmm. and I, and I don't have a lot of money to spend on flying. but it was I think in where I was renting, it was like three hundred and fifty dollars an hour for the plane. Like if you can
0: just mm-hmm. imagine, wow. right? and
1: I'm thinking, wow, this is like that's an expensive airplane. Two hours is seven hundred dollars, right. So I had to pick a CFI to hire. And I picked this guy that I was sharing a suite with at the time and uh, his name was Kevin and he wasn't cheap either. He was $120 an hour -hmm. and I knew that and I knew I could get somebody cheaper, but I wanted Kevin and I was also not going to nickel and dime him. I wasn't going to ask him for the bro deal. I was going to pay him from the minute he showed up to the minute he left because Mm -hmm. that's what I would expect and his time is valuable. I don't expect him to – he could be doing anything else other than working with me, but he was working with me and the reality is i think kevin saved me a lot of money because you know the first two lessons maybe or the first three lessons we didn't go anywhere near the airplane we mm-hmm. spent 3 hours together with a picture of the the of the panel and the checklist in our hand and we talked through every single switch and and we talked through the whole flight like He would say, okay, now we're gonna taxi out to the run-up. Okay, what are you looking for during taxi? Okay, where are you looking for that? All right, you know, and then we get out to the run-up area, touch the thing. Okay, do you know what that is? And do you know why we turned that on? And all of this conversation, and we spent three hours together, which was three hundred and sixty dollars to Kevin. And then Mm -hmm. we went and did it again, you know, the next week, three hours together without going anywhere near the airplane. Okay, and that's another three hundred and sixty dollars to Kevin. But if you think about it, that's only two hours in the airplane that 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 I paid him. And by the time we got to the airplane, it was just like, boom, boom, boom. I didn't have to ask any of those questions. I went through the whole thing pretty quickly. Um, So I think that's what ideally what we can do for students is like set them up for success. And I don't know how we got to talking all
0: about money either. No, that's good, though. (laughs) Well, you know, listen, you know, I mean, in aviation, you know, it is, you know, there's a lot unless you're just independently wealthy, you know, aviation is an expensive thing. So, um, yeah, sure. any, any time, you know, I always cringe when I get into a conversation with somebody and we talk about a cheap, you know, $150,000 182, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and then you gotta like stop and think to yourself, you know, there's, there's people that, you know, $150,000, like you can't even con- contemplate, you know, they're trying to figure out how to put groceries on their, on their plates. Right. So, you know, if, if, if any of us, you know, if you're, if you're involved in aviation, you know, uh, and you can afford it, um, you know, be thankful. Uh, but yeah, but you have to be good stewards of your money. Because even if you have, you know, that level of money, uh, most of us don't have, you know, Bill Gates and Elon Musk kind of money. So,
1: right, right. Yeah. And I think the the bottom line is, um, you know, it was, I think it was Tyson from Fourflight who said to me once, you know, remember about business, and this is such good advice. He said that, um, you can't be the best and the cheapest. You can right. either be the best or the cheapest. So pick one and be it, you know.
0: Yeah, and you can charge twice as much if you're in the top 10%, you know. So if if everybody is yeah. scrambling for the bottom and there's not that many people, you know, that are really focused on, you know, the the excellence side of it and they're just kind of right. I don't want to say like a puppy mill, like a pilot meal. Cause that, that gives really bad, you know, that gives really bad thoughts too. These people are really working hard too. But, um, you know, but if, if you really take yourself to that next level, there's, you've, all of a sudden you've ice, you've separated yourself from such a big pack. Um, right. you know, that isn't at that level. So that's cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it honestly, it's good for the whole industry. And, um, like for all, for the whole industry to sort of think that way. And I think like Cirrus, for example, thinks that way. Mm -hmm. And I think there's examples in other industries. Like if you think about bicycles is a great example where in the, in the eighties, we all rode these big heavy Schwinn's with banana seats and they were Mm -hmm. like 175 bucks. Right. And like, if you would have told the CEO of Schwinn, you were going to build a bike and sell it for $4,000, he (laughs) would have laughed you out of his office. Right but along comes Trek and Cannondale and specialized and they start building these amazing bikes and Mm -hmm. I can't afford one still, but they're certainly amazing, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And it's like, it's like, but it, what it did is it it just re-energized the entire industry. Now Mm -hmm. all of a sudden that's a huge industry. And I think, you know, there's some value to that, to thinking, you know, like we'll find ways to get there. Pilots are extraordinary people. You know, when, when we put our, minds to something it's like uh, i just it doesn't matter where we come from like if it's if you're a man or a woman or a bartender or a tech mm-hmm. giant or whatever just the drive to actually get in the airplane and learn all of the knowledge that's required and understand all the charts and uh, be able to control the machine and execute missions it takes a certain mindset and um you know part of the fun is figuring out how you're going to get there
0: now you know your conversation about uh, you said kevin right it was it kevin? kevin my cfi yeah, yeah. So, so, so kind of along your line with Kevin, you were sitting down and just going over the flows of the airplane. Um, so do you recommend that your pilot, that your student pilots, that they do their ground school or, or do you recommend for anybody? Um, cause you have your own ground school. So do you, do you recommend folks to do their ground school prior to actually starting or at least in the very beginning phases of, of flying?
1: It's, it's, you know, I don't have a strong feeling about it, honestly. And, but I think if I had to plant a flag, it would depend on how much extra time you have. I think the thing that matters to me the most is that you have a three to one, you know, like that three to one ratio for every hour in the airplane, you've got three hours to study. Um, like even like people will say to me, Hey, I want to get this done fast. I want to fly every day. I want to fly five days a week, twice, twice a day. And I think, well, that's too much. Like Mm -hmm. that's not you're going to not You're like things are going to, you're going to miss a lot. You need time to like study it and absorb it. And so if you're somebody that's working a tight schedule, like, you know, when I was working on my higher ratings before I was a CFI, I was working, you know, double shifts, like construction all day, waiting tables in the evenings. I was just living on a boat, you <laughs> know, I mean, I was just like, you know, working my butt off and I didn't have a ton of time. By the time I got home in the evening, I would try to study, but you know, I'd fall asleep. So if, if that's the situation, then yeah, use digital products, get it done at home. But I also think if you're somebody who has a reasonable schedule and you think you can put in a couple hours or three hours of, of study time after a lesson is over, then in some ways it makes more sense to do it together. Because, you know, think about it. If you're like somebody who doesn't know anything about flying and you open up a book and it's talking about magnetos and, mm. and compass error and, you know, ADF, things and stuff like that. You don't know what's important, what's not important. You don't know that 90% of the time the ADF is going to say inoperative. You spend a lot of like brain time on that. Like your instructor helps sort of curate the information. Um, one of the things we've spent a lot of time doing, I'm really excited about this. We're just about to unveil this, I think probably next week, but in the ground school app, um, we've gone through for every lesson and for every question, there's an actual page number reference to an FAA source document cool. and we just made those clickable. So that's the big unveiling is that, so now if you're using our ground school app and you're going through one of the lessons or you get to a question, you don't know, you can literally just press pilot's handbook of aeronautical knowledge and it drops you onto that page. That's of cool. The P-AC. And so I'm just trying to like tie those, like let people go deeper as they can. And I think, uh, that's kind of what an instructor does is helps curate all that stuff. So.
0: No, that's cool. Again, it's just anything to do the interactivity, you know, so people just aren't brain dead watching a screen, um, hoping that their eyes absorb something.
1: Yeah. And I'm just trying to think like, if, you know, if, if I were a CFI in a box, like how could I give people the actual experience of training with me? This is like my dream product. It's sort of like my, you know, it's what I want to leave the aviation world. So when Mm. I'm dead and gone and whatever else, there's going to be this app that's like what it would have been like or what I would have wanted, how I would have wanted people to learn.
0: All right. So let's talk about when you're dead and gone. So that's so, so, um, so that's when, not. let's talk about that. Let's talk about death and dying. Uh, so, it, it, so, so, you know, and actually I did have a question around, you know, not, not about you dying or me dying, but, but so, um, but along those lines. So, you know, if we look at aviation in general, right? So, you know, airplanes for the most part in the last, what, 60, 70 years, right? airplanes have been pretty much the same i mean yeah a couple little differences here and there you know but for the most part until we got to the glass panels you know there's been yeah. a lot of exciting stuff going on with the glass panels um because it really does help um i don't know if I, they're still t- trying to figure out if they're actually helping safety or not because people are putting their heads in the pan you know people are keeping their heads inside all the time um so i don't know if the safety but at least i know for me i'm not lost anymore when i'm flying um yeah so that's good yeah. But, um, but what do you think, you know, so after you and I, well, you're younger than I am, so I'll be gone before you. So when, when I'm gone and then when you're, you're, you're sitting there on your rocking chair at the old folks home, uh, you know, what do you think is going to be the next big change for general aviation?
1: Wow. That's, that's a really good question. Um, I'm not sure that I know the answer to that. I think, uh, gosh, I haven't even really thought of that. The next big change for GA, um, you think
0: electric's going to happen anytime soon?
1: I, I don't know. I don't know if elect- electric's going to happen as much as like jet power becomes more like what you're seeing Sirius yeah. do with the vision jet where it becomes like, um, you know, I always think of when I look at the vision jet, I think of the show, the Jetsons, you remember that? Where like mm-hmm. everyone had those little flying cars yep. that were jet powered. Um, I think that hundred low led. the future of hundred low led is, is, is in jeopardy Mm -hmm. and so you know when you look at these big engines like they're using the io540s and some of these others that are really sensitive in temperature and really need that lead to get the right burn Mm -hmm. i worry about those airplanes but i don't know if electric is going to replace them as much as like diesel powered jets or like some sort of um you know like some sort of biofuel that powers jet engines um, there, there are some cool possibilities with the electric, like, I don't know if you've seen the sun flyer. I have, yeah. Um, yeah, but like, you know, if you get an airplane like that working for real and flight training, it really changes the, all the economics in
0: mm-hmm. the business,
1: you know, like when a flight school now rents an airplane, the margins are pretty tight. And, you know, they'll rent a plane for whatever, $110 an hour, and I don't know how much they're making on it, maybe 40 bucks an hour, right? Mm -hmm. And then most of that money is going into some sort of reserve so that as soon as the starter breaks or whatever, they can pay for it without going into their pocket. But if you look at the maintenance margins around an electric plane like the sun flyer it changes the whole equation so all of a sudden you could have schools making a good amount of money on airplane rentals and instruction or whatever else they're doing so
0: or the market brings down the cost and or people can get into aviation because it's cheaper to rent the airplane so
1: yeah exactly it all it all goes together you know um yeah and it's funny i mean (laughs) to think about how those things are related like i don't know I don't know if cheaper is exactly the. Like, I I think of Starbucks coffee. Like, who would have thought we'd all be paying four bucks for a cup of coffee, right? I have never had a cup of
0: coffee in my life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't even. It's funny. I go to. (laughs) I was up at Nevada County Airport and it was, it's just such a classic airport. And they have the old coffee pot that hasn't been turned off in four days or whatever. And <laughs> yeah. The, it's the just black. Creamer and the little bags of sugar and the styrofoam cup. I just love it.
0: Yeah. The older I get, the more I look at my wife drinking coffee and I go, man, I'm tired. I got to try this one day and <laughs> see if it's, yeah. Good. yeah. Uh, but then my, my, I see my daughter spending so much money. She, she, she works just so she can go to Starbucks I think <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's
1: crazy I mean there's like and it's like another example of the bike industry it's like absurd how much people are paying for a cup of coffee yeah look at Starbucks there's like two on every street
0: yeah because that perceived value smile. it's the same thing with Apple right you got perceived value you know people will pay you a thousand dollars you know for a little screen with some computer stuff behind it because they have a perceived yeah, value
1: yeah I mean and it is a great product right like mm-hmm. so I think that's the main thing is that we have a good product yeah um, But I think, you know, one of the things that is in the future of GA is like more automation. You know, if you look at flying something like an SR-22 right now, Mm -hmm. it's so the autopilot technology is so sophisticated and you combine that with the G1000 perspective system that they use. And it's like, you know, you take off and it's like an airliner, you might Mm -hmm. fly up to a thousand feet, but then you dial in all the buttons, they've got the yaw damper and it just starts flying the pink line for you. It'll level off at a certain altitude. All we need to add is like auto throttles and mm-hmm. auto land. Could you know? Well, that's have you right? seen the they new? T- t- have
0: you seen the new TBM with the auto land?
1: Is it the TBM has an auto land? Yeah. Doesn't the new SR twenty two also maybe? I, I realized um, that. As it was I think I might have
0: mouth. seen that, but I'm not sure. I know that the TBM definitely does. But yeah, it's just a big red button. So the pilot's wow. incapacitated. I mean, that's a game changer, you know. So if you yeah. get a family or a wife, you know, the wife, like my wife. I tried to get her to learn how to fly, right? So she goes yeah. and she goes to my CFI and she threw up all over the dashboard twice. <laughs> oh, no. So she did not oh, want no. to learn how to fly. Like that was not, a, you know, I, so, um, but for her, you know so for her, like if I, my, my worry is, okay if something happens to me, whatever it is, you know and you know, you do all your, I'm safe and you think you're good, but then something happens. And right. it's like, now you got somebody who's afraid to take the controls on a good day. Um, you know, now that she's got an emergency next to her you know, how is she going to get that airplane on the ground safely, you know? And, um, but yeah. yeah, they just have a red button. You hit that red button, it figures out the closest runway that it can land for that type of airplane. And it just takes and lands it.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, you know, stuff like that, I think is because like you said, it's like a wing is a wing is a wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we've been teaching people to fly, you know, for what, a 13 years or something like that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's basically the same, you know, so it's, Not much is going to change there unless, you know, you're talking about flying drones or whatever. It's funny that you talk about that big red button, because what I was doing this morning was a pinch hitter course for a pilot and his wife, Mm -hmm. you know, like where that was the scenario is like, what if he becomes incapacitated and how would she get the airplane to a runway and land? Mm -hmm. Um, interesting. It was a challenge, honestly, from an instructional perspective, because she doesn't need to know what everyone else needs to know right. or does she is is the whole is the whole problem right so. yeah and if you try to give her too much great.
0: it'll turn them off yeah so you got to make exactly. it bite sized enough just to get them on the ground safely um, yep. you know in most yep. situations so you know it's interesting you talk about the the drones right I, I i do think like you know a wing is a wing is a wing like you said and I do wonder, like you know, if if the next generation isn't because most of our flying isn't really cross country, right? We think it is. That's what we like to believe what we're doing, but most of our flying right. is point A to point B, relatively close, right? And right. um, and if people could take their cars and make those all quadcopters, you know, yep. so I do wonder, like if if all the pilots of today are going to be, you know, quadcopter Uber drivers, <laughs> you know, you know, in the future.
1: Yeah, it's. It's hard to say. I mean, I think uh, certainly from a job opportunity perspective, I think there's some interesting possibilities there, like in the sense that, um, you know, if the FAA were to certify quadcopters that could carry four or five people, I would imagine they would require a licensed operator to be on board just in case, right? Right. At least in the beginning, let's say for the first 10 or 15 years, require somebody to be there to take over. And I would assume that person would need some sort of commercial pilot certificate, Mm -hmm. you know, because they are the commercial pilot that's there to take over so you know it it could be in the short term that that type of technology actually creates tons of flying jobs even Mm -hmm. if they might not be the kind of flying jobs people want it could be a way into the industry or whatever uh just kind of an interesting thought
0: that's cool hey listen i know i've got one more question for you um because we're going to be getting close to the hour here and i don't want to waste too much of your time and again thanks very much for uh stopping in and talking to us uh um, oh you
1: bet thanks for having me I
0: so so it. this is like the this is like the college joke right this is one question in three thousand parts <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so so it's uh so you know i, I want to talk about the most important phases of training right because you've got you know so you, you are somebody who has dedicated you know your career to teaching flying, right? You're not just dreaming about flying the the corporate gig. You're not dreaming about flying the seven seven seven. Well, maybe we still are dreaming of trying flying at seven We're seven seven, it, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the career goal. So, um, so you're you're uniquely situated to answer this question. So, there's there's different phases of flying, right? So if people will say, you know, hey, what's the mo- what's your biggest recommendation? And blah blah blah. But there's different phases of of a student pilot, right? So so I've, that's where the parts come in. So What's your biggest tip for somebody who's looking to start flying? Hasn't started flying yet.
1: That you know, that's uh, I think the I don't know, tip for somebody is maybe different than the most important phase. I mean, the most important mm-hmm. phase in my mind is definitely the very very beginning, the first twenty five hours. Um, that's that's where the the laws of primacy really. Grab you, and mm-hmm. the law of primacy is a law of learning that just says the first way you learn it is the way you'll tend to do it forever, and it's extremely difficult to change. Um, I I compare it sometimes to orthopedics, where I say like you know, primacy is like when a bone heals wrong, and like you can you can change it, it's possible, but to change it you have to break it again, you have to reset it in a certain way. And then you have to wrap it with a cast and let it heal over time. Like there's no way to change primacy without some trauma. You have to like traumatize somebody into the change. And then you have to like consistently do it for a period of months. And even then, to be totally honest, I'm not sure under the right stresses if it's actually changed. So as an instructor and to the other instructors out there that those first 25 hours, I take extraordinarily seriously um i can't really stress that enough so like in the first 25 hours for example i'm flying with a piece of paper over the flight instruments and a dry erase marker in my hand and we are just talking about pitch and power and i'm allowing students to look at the instruments but they have to peel the paper back you know so they're not staring at it they can look at anything they want but there's a slight little barrier in between them mm-hmm. And I'm also asking them for every climb to do a flow check and a written checklist for every level off to do a flow check and a written checklist for every descent. I mean, it's this, it's a sort of intense part of training and it's a trick because they're new. So I want to keep it simple and Mm -hmm. that's partly why we cover the flight instruments. I don't want to make it overly complex, but the things that we choose to ingrain like pitch and power and solid checklist procedures, I'm extremely like like hard on them about it, where it's like, I will count the number of checklist possibilities and run the numbers. So at the end of the flight, I can say you hit 67% of the checklists and only 63 were backed up by a piece of paper, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing where we can actually quantify success and failure. Um, you can't, you just can't, and then solid habits, like, you know, a passenger briefing, a pre-taxi briefing, a pre-takeoff briefing, uh, an arrival briefing. These are things that you can't add in later or you shouldn't add in later. I mean, like I said, the law of primacy is really, um, it's a bear. So you want to get those basic procedural building blocks in place right away. And so I don't know how to advise somebody who's coming in to, to look out for that. Cause when you're coming into, the hard part is, yeah, you don't know anything. You don't know who's good, who's bad, you know, or what. So I guess that thought is more for the instructors. Um, but I think my biggest tip to people coming in is to save yourself a bunch of time and money by doing a lot of preparation work like I described. And so, like something that drives me crazy is when, you know, people will come to see me and they're paying my crazy hourly rate and they're paying some crazy hourly rate for the airplane and we mm-hmm. get out into the run-up area and they go, okay, all right, let's see here. What's on this list? I'm like, oh my God, you haven't looked at that uh, That's like, a lot of money. You, <laughs> you know, so do what Kevin did with me. Like if you're going into flight training, I would think about, you know, like we have our ground school app laid out as knowledge, skill, and risk basically mm-hmm. just like the ACS. So you want to think about things that way. Learn the knowledge from the books, but the skills you can practice too. Get like a, a cardboard picture of the cockpit, get a copy of the checklist, and sit down and run through the run up checklist 10, 15 times before you go see the instructor. Keep a notebook next to you so that if you don't understand something, like I have no idea what a vacuum gauge is, you can write that down. I don't know what a vacuum gauge is. That way, when you go in to see your instructor, you're like, okay, I prepped, but I don't know what a vacuum gauge is. I don't know why I test the enunciators and I don't know why I do the idle check. Can we like talk about those things? Mm-hmm. You know, so using your instructor in a way that that helps sort of laser focus the prep work you've already done, you know?
0: Yeah, you know, and it, the privacy thing is so important because even like um, a real quick super story, so I won't run into you too long, but like um, I did my initial flight training up in Rochester, New York, which is a Class C airport. And um so the good thing with that is you got introduced to radio communications real heavy real fast cuz you had Buffalo, Rochester and Syracuse right next to each other basically. And um, so you're always talking with somebody. And um the downside to it is is that the uh, the city was right off of the runway. And um and so you you really had a very they wanted you to f- come in fast um cuz you were mixing in. They had runway 25 and runway 28. 25 was GA and 28 was was uh, you know corporate. And um and and so, you know, you're mixing Cessna's in with, you know, the big airplanes. And so they wanted you to come in really fast and they wanted you to have a short final for the most part. Um a yeah. really close in a really close in circuit. And, um, and now when I came down to Greenville, um, I am driving my CFI up the wall because I had, I have this like, I have like this, like, you know, naval, like, you know, landing on an aircraft carrier thing, you know, it's like really tight turn into the, you know, there, there's no base. It's, it's like, it's downwind into final (laughs) Um, and I'm coming in super fast. And then like, you know, at the last minute I'm throwing everything out and, you know, (laughs) just getting it dirty and, you know, slowing down as fast as possible. Um, You know, and so it is driving him absolutely insane. And I know it is and I feel so guilty every time it happens, but (laughs) it's what I'm used to doing. Um, So it's so hard to break the habit.
1: It is. It's really hard to break. And, um, you know, then the the funny thing about primacy, too, is like you'll break the habit until the day you're really stressed and then it'll Mm -hmm. it'll show itself again. And, you know, just like a really quick story for you is I had one student in my career who crashed a plane. That's only happened once and Mm -hmm. he actually was okay. So I feel okay talking about it. Everyone, everyone was okay. There was nobody was injured, but he totaled the airplane. So the airplane was a total, you know, the insurance company just gave him a check. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I trained him like in, in a Cessna, we did everything I could think of to keep things redundant and to make sure that he had solid procedures. So like in the, uh, in the run up, you know, we'd used Ralph butcher's tip of using the acronym cigars and you know, So he does his control check and he checks his instruments and he checks his gas and his enunciators and attitude trim and autopilot and radios and run up and seatbelt security and then backs it up again against a written checklist to make mm-hmm. sure that there's like single pilot redundancy and he wouldn't miss anything. Um, but we didn't use flaps in a Cessna for takeoff for the most part in this particular Cessna. mm mm-hmm. And so it just wasn't required. He didn't use them. Uh, We always did a pre-takeoff briefing, right? So we talked ahead of what was going to happen. We picked abort points. We did all this. And he learned those procedures perfectly well. And then when he got his private certificate, he upgraded to a high-performance aircraft, which required flaps for takeoff. Mm -hmm. And even then, so now we have to work flaps in. And we did, you know. Whatever it was, 15 hours of factory training. We flew back from the factory. We had another 10 hours. And then I think we did an additional 25 hours of local training in the airplane. Never once in all of that time, in all that additional training, did I ever see him not set the flaps for takeoff. Okay. Never saw it. It, it never occurred ever. Then he, I could sign him off in his new airplane and he's off flying around. He's flying around with his girlfriend. They're going to Vegas. They're going to LA. They're going to, you know, they're going all over. They're using the plane. And I feel Mm -hmm. really proud. I'm like, wow, he had solid training. He had this solid upgrade training. Now he's using the airplane. Everything's great but there was one evening where they were late to depart for Los Angeles and he was on the phone. This is what he described to me after the fact. He was on the phone with a a board of directors. He was a pretty, you know, heavy investor and they had all sorts of problems at the company. So he's taking this call next to the plane and he's really stressed out about it. His girlfriend shows up, she's crying, she's emotional because there's like roommate issues. Oh no. And he, he writes so the stressors, there's all those stressors starting to happen. And he, I said to him, like, after the accident, I was like, well, did you, did you do cigars? Because that, that should have caught all this. he's like, yeah, I did it. Uh, and I'm like, did you run the checklist? He's like, yeah, I ran it. But when he was doing all these things, he was still preoccupied with the board of directors mm-hmm. meeting and his emotional girlfriend. And, you know, you got it now. He didn't set the flaps for takeoff. And during the takeoff from a short runway, Uh, he, something didn't feel right to him and he executed a late high speed abort. Oh, and and went went off off the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, um, I think about that because that was like a lot of extra upgrade training and I never once saw, you know, but that actually changed things for me. So like literally starting the next day, all of my Cessna students when they did the, the C part of controls mm-hmm. and I do this Go to, to this day, I have them grab the grab the flap handle and say, flaps are a control, but they're not used today. Right. We're not using them today, yep. but they touch it. Right.
0: Yeah. I think it's good to, that- um, to simulate somehow, or at least, you know, verbalize the gear. Right. Cause right? We're, we, we train in airplanes that don't have gear. I had a gear up landing, um, oh, you know, cool. and yeah, which is a whole different <laughs> story for a different day, but, um, yeah. you know, and there was nothing wrong with the gear. Right. So, wow. um, and so, uh, you know, the one thing I like to recommend is that if you have somebody, even if they're not a pilot, um, if you have somebody in the other seat, show them how to read the items on the checklist. Um, yeah, that's great. You know, and so, so if somebody else, you know, it, they're not used to flying, so they're not rushing through it. Right, and they're they're reading, and you hope that they're not skipping something. But you know, right. show them how to point to right. things, and you know, and then yeah. they say it, you know, so you have challenge and response, um, you know, style right. flying, which, like you know, like you would in the airlines with two pilot operations. So, um, so that's always something good too. Well, I'm glad to hear that 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 individual is okay. Um, yeah, yeah that stinks. They
1: were fine, him and his girlfriend. Yeah, so
0: uh, that's cool. Is she did she still fly with him? <laughs> After that, or did no, they stop flying? No, he
1: actually. You know, I think uh, he like like I said, he was pretty heavily invested in some pretty big operations. I yeah. think he got sort of forced to stop flying after that, um, gotcha. by the people he was making money with.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, they wanted insurance on him. So
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah.
0: All right. Well, hey, listen, Jason. I know we're at the top of the hour here. Um, I don't want to keep you any longer. But um, you know, again, you know, from uh, if if anything we can do to help, you know, from a civil air patrol, you know, standpoint. Uh, anything um, your your audience might be interested in, cause I know you do podcasts uh, about civil air patrol and what we do. You know, feel free give me a holler, and um, I look forward to uh, you know possibly meeting you at Oshkosh. And uh, I'm so excited that we're gonna have it this year. And um, I'm, you know, I don't care if it's half the people, half the airplanes, and half. I, I'm just I just want to go to Oshkosh. I'm just... I'm sick and tired of not being there last year.
1: Yeah, I know. I feel the same way. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate that offer. I, I have a lot of respect for what you guys do. So thank you for your service in uh, Civil Air Patrol. And um, it's great to have you know guests from time to time just to get you know your side of the story on how search and rescue works mm-hmm. or whatever other great operations you guys are involved in. So thanks for putting in all the time and being there for us. I really appreciate that.
0: Awesome. Well, Jason, I'm going to say goodbye to the folks, and I will be back in just two seconds. Okay, sounds good. Uh, before we go, is there anything else? Uh, so I got your um, uh, the podcast. Um, w- what else is on your media empire? So we have your ground school. I'll put links to that, your YouTube channel. What else is out there? Anything else you wanted to yeah, mention?
1: Pretty, there's, a, there's an iBook that goes through all the standard operating procedures that I just described. Um, but those are also in the ground school app. I think the main thing is just learnthefinerpoints.com. You can come and find anything. Uh, there's a free gift video there for you. And just everything we're up up to is, is there. So learnthefinerpoints.com is where you can go.
0: Okay, sweet. All right, yeah, everybody go visit that and Jason, we'll be right back. Okay, thanks, Bob. All right, that was our time with Jason Miller and um, you know, really appreciate Jason's time. Um, it is great to see a CFI that, uh, it isn't just jumping off. I know a lot of CFIs, they take that part of their, uh, their career into the airlines or corporate. They take that CFI job very serious as well. But you don't often see a lot of folks that that is their career. That is what they want to excel in. That is what they want to do the best job at. Um, so it, it's really wonderful to get those uh, those impressions from Jason and his thoughts. So yeah, so go ahead and visit all of uh, Jason. Um, go visit his ground school and uh, go check out his YouTube video. I can tell you in CAP, there are times that we've actually pulled up Jason's videos actually right in our... Uh, our our um our meetings we wanted to look at something and somebody would say hey you know Jason Miller had a really great video on this let's pull this up and take a look at it And um, so he's done a really great job of helping uh, Civil Air Patrol uh, flying as well. So really appreciate that. Um, For anybody who is interested in Civil Air Patrol and what we do, I would ask you to go visit gocivilairpatrol.com. If you are between the ages of 12 and 18, we have a great cadet program. And if you are older than 18, you can start as a senior member, get involved in search and rescue, aerospace education. Um, We fly a lot of missions with the Air Force. I want to say it's like 90% of the United States Air Air forces search and rescue missions inside the u.s are actually done by civil air patrol um so we get a great chance to do a lot of work and uh civil air patrol is also the world's largest fleet of single engine airplanes um so if you are interested in learning more about what we do go ahead and check out gocivilairpatrol.com. all right thanks everybody we'll see you next week bye